to the audio event of the century, featuring two lifelong best friends. We love the Leafs. We love each other. But most of all, we love William Nylander. Welcome to the Buds All Day. Hello and welcome to a special playoff preview edition of the Buds All Day podcast. I am Sats Mundine, and I am joined by the OG member, Lebda's Legacy. How's it going, everyone? The third member, Noah Banks. Hey, what's up, guys? And an extremely special guest. You heard him from our Trade Deadline podcast. We have downtown Stephen Brown. Awesome to be here, guys. You guys can't see it, obviously, because it's a podcast, but I have a game-worn William Nylander St. Pat's jersey hanging over my shoulder, and I'm hoping it's going to give us some good luck moving forward. Yeah, we got beautiful uh, jerseys here, too. I got a Austin Matthews, a retinas jersey. We won't talk about the score of the game that he used that jersey in, but let's hope it brings some good luck. So, uh, speaking of bad omens, we found out the other night that we will be facing the Tampa Bay Lightning in our first round playoff series. So we're going to get into the preview. We're going to discuss the matchups on forward D and of course, goaltending some, some X factors and why we think each team could win before getting into our predictions. So before we get started, Steven, what are your thoughts on the series? Just, just going in. How are you feeling right now? I was sitting at the Blue Jays game watching the Leafs versus Bruins game on my phone and everyone was getting on me like behind me like in the rows in the 500th level like what are you doing watching the Leaf game there's a Blue Jay game going on right in front of us stuff like that and I'm, I'm thinking there I, I needed to know the results of that game because I was also checking the score in um, the Tampa Islanders game as well because I really wanted to play the Bruins in the first round I did but now that I know that it is Tampa versus the Leafs um, they played each other really well this year. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit later on as we get to it, but I, I can't get past the goaltending matchup. Yeah. And I, uh, like where I'm at with this is we've had probably the two easiest, um, teams you could play in the playoffs the last two years. And I guess now we have the big, uh, the big guy with the back-to-back Stanley cup champions in round one. And, if you can't beat the uh, the easiest matchups, might as well give us the biggest one and hope we can uh, we can kind of take it from there and uh, make some uh, make some upsets here. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same boat as Noah here. I think like we clearly couldn't get it done the easy way, so I guess let's try the hard way. And to be honest, in my mind, I think no matter who we played in this first round here, like we are the better hockey team. I think you know our forwards' defense are better than pretty much anyone in the Atlantic. And then it comes down to what Steven said, the goaltending, and then also us being the Toronto Maple Leafs and our playoff kind of demons coming back to haunt us potentially. Yeah, I'm kind of with uh, with you two on the we could beat any team, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, there is one guy who I did not want to face in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and that is Andre Vasilevsky. We're going to talk about that in the goaltending portion of this podcast. But let's start up front. Let's start on forwards kind of get the idea of, of who has the upper hand here. We know the Toronto Maple Leafs, they have that rocking first line with Bunting, Matthews, and Marner. It's looking pretty hopeful that Bunting is going to play. There are some questions down the lineup, how the Leafs are going to kind of configure themselves up front. So, Steve, what are you looking for out of the, uh, you know, we, we know the first line, but what are you looking for in the bottom nine of our forward lineup? 
Oh boy, there was a Sheldon Keefe quote from the other day saying that he was going to reunite John Tavares and William Nylander together, and I saw that that got a lot of people really angry. I can't remember the exact goals for and goals against, but those two over the last three years together at 5-on-5 are pretty much dead even in terms of the goals for and goals against, and that's just disappointing no matter who's uh, the third member of that line. It just it doesn't work. Just it doesn't work. It's not Tavares' fault. It's not Nylander's fault. Maybe it is just as simple as needing to find that line's version of Michael Bunting or Zach Hyman. But those two guys should be able to make some noise on their own, and they just can't. Um, and if he's going to reunite those guys, I'm really interested to see who's going to be the third member of that line. Could be Kerfoot. Really don't want it to be. Nothing against the guy. Um, if it's Ilya Mikheyev. I could get behind that. Ilya's got, what, like 21 goals in 50-something games this year? Um, and for a third line, that leaves you with either Mikheyev or Kerfoot, David Kampf, and Pierre Engvall. I mean, I've really warmed up to Pierre Engvall in the second half of this season. And David Kampf has been David Kampf all season, right? He's been a rock-steady member of, that, of any shutdown line that he's been a part of. Um, and the fourth line, I got an interesting take on the fourth line, so we'll come back to that. Yeah, and I'm with Steven here about my hesitance to be super excited about a Tavares-Nylander reunion on the first line, the second line, because I just look at how well our record was kind of when we split Nylander off of that line, and this team was playing pretty well going into um, going into the end of the season, and then all of a sudden to pivot from that, and I don't remember exactly when we split them up, but just to go from splitting them up and playing really well to all of a sudden throwing them back together uh, right when the games really start to matter. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. Yeah. I think it's an interesting one for Keith just to I, like, again, he might not do it. It could be smoke and mirrors, but if he just throws them back without, you know, going back to it in the regular season, I, for me, I'm not excited at all about seeing John Tavares and William Nylander together and what I am excited about, though, is having that, like, Pierre Engvall, David Kampf, potentially McKayev, potentially Kerfoot line, and having that line play against some, you know, some pretty tough minutes against the other team, and then hoping we can free up our top two lines against uh, Tampa Bay's bottom two lines. So I don't love the fact that Tavares and Nylander specifically are playing together, but if it does lead to the kind of that second scenario where our third line is a true shutdown line and eating up some minutes so our big boys have you know, more cushy minutes, then then I think I can get on board with it. They broke up the Deveras Nylander duo um, March the 26th against the Montreal Canadiens. It was a 4-2 to loss. And ever since then, they are 14-2-2 since breaking up that line. Yeah, the numbers have spoken for themselves, and we kind of saw Willie flip the switch as soon as he was taken away from Tavares. Maybe not right away, but that's when he seemed to turn his season around. Now, we know Willie can be an up-and-down guy at times, so maybe it was just a matter of coincidence. But I think the key for this, with for me, has to be just Keith's willingness to adjust. Because we saw last year, he stuck with Matthews and Marner together, even though it wasn't working. He didn't really have many adjustments in his pocket. We've seen a lot of different stuff from him down the stretch here. So if he wants to give it a crack with Ilya Mikheyev there, who hasn't really had a shot with Nylander and Tavares, then I would be okay with trying it for game one. If it doesn't work, you can go back to those lines where you have, um, you know, Tavares, Mikheyev, Blackwell, you know, Kasha, if he comes back, Kerfoot, it could be a different, you know, array of guys, but it just, there has to be that adjustment from Keith. 
Now, Steve, you said you had a spicy take about the fourth line here? Yeah, I mean, the fourth line this year has been a conundrum, really. I mean, they were awful into 2022, but they have been better since the trade deadline. And the last game that these two teams matched up against each other was a miserable loss. But the best thing about that game was Kyle Clifford stealing a stick and bonking Corey Perry over the head with it. Wayne Simmons going toe-to-toe with Pat Maroon. I really don't feel like putting up with Corey Perry and Pat Maroon uh, all seven games. I really want those guys to be handled and put in check. And really, Simmons and Clifford are the only two guys that can really do that. So in my mind, those guys are in my game one lineup just because of that. But on the flip side of it, if you're looking at, you know, Kyle Clifford, Wayne Simmons, how much ice time are those guys really going to be getting, right? Five to eight minutes a night. And yeah, their insurance to keep the flies away and Corey Perry and Pat Maroon. But what if you could have a more effective um, tandem and help out your blue line? You know, the Leafs ran with 11 forwards and seven defensemen in that last game against the Boston Bruins. I don't know if they would do it again. They didn't really do it a whole ton uh, this regular season. I know the Tampa Bay Lightning are comfortable in doing so. They've done it probably the most often out of any team in the NHL. But at the same time, you're looking at a guy like Rasmus Sandin, who's really close to, to coming back from his injury, and he's more than likely going to be in the press box. That just, it feels wrong to have Rasmus Sandin just sitting up there in the press box and losing out on what he brings to a team and how valuable he is. And then you hear that Jake Muzzin's not at 100% either. What happens if you go into a game, Jake Muzzin feels 90% at the start of it, he tweaks something, now he's at 70 75%. Do you pull him out? Do you not play him anymore? Now you're down to five defensemen. Do you play him anyway hurt against a really fast Tampa Bay Lightning team? Maybe going with 11 forwards and seven defensemen isn't that bad, but I also don't want to have to deal with the crap that Corey Perry and Pat Maroon bring on a nightly basis. And now before Noah gets going on this, I just one thing that I, I think about this fourth line, they do bring the toughness on Tampa, but the thing that scares me about just going at them with toughness is that that fourth line in a ton of minutes, I think over 800, has 57% expected goals, and they've outscored their opposition 25 to 9. Man, you really, uh, you're really testing my uh, what I was supposed to say when you dropped those kind of stats. But I was originally going to agree with Steve, and I like the idea of just they have two tough guys and we have two tough guys, and hey, put them out against each other, and hopefully they kind of clash and that we don't have to worry about them pulling any shenanigans against anyone in our top nine. But um, I think it's definitely a scare that their fourth line is probably going to outproduce our fourth line when they're on the ice. And of course, they're not going out against each other to have a full out boxing match. So um, I just I'm hoping that even if we're giving up our fourth line at a loss, that our top nine can kind of cover that. But I'm I don't love the idea of putting one of our better players um, that we could stick on the fourth line like Akasha out there against Corey Perry and have Corey Perry throw a questionable questionable hit and send Kasha back into the press box. So if it's going to cause us a loss to have that fourth line, but they kind of clash a little bit and maybe we give up a goal or two during the series, I just I hope that our top nine would be able to take care of that. Yeah, and one thing I think was kind of interesting as Steve was talking was uh, about the, you know, addressing an extra defenseman. Um, and his point about Clifford and Simmons, like how much are you going to play them? And it just, I just kind of thinking here while I'm sitting here and like, it, maybe that is a benefit to us. Maybe we do dress Clifford and Simmons and 
then we have the two goons. So if Perry and Maroon start getting out of hand, we, we know we're able to deal with that situation. But also, they're only going to play seven minutes a night. So then you have more more ice time to your Austin Matthews, your John Tavares, take an extra shift. You throw Blackwall out with someone who's tired and you do a little rotation like that. I think then it comes down to, again, like John Tavares, William Nylander in that third line, being able to handle their potential assignments. But, you know, kind of listening to Steven there talking, it got me thinking that, you know what, maybe maybe Clifford and Simmons isn't the worst thing as long as they only play for a few minutes. Now, those guys have played well ever since the trade deadline. Like, I don't, I don't want to throw those guys under the bus and say that they haven't. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I want to ask you guys a question. Like, what, what do you guys think the over-under is on Matthew's ice time in each of these games? I got to go at least 22 minutes a night at this point. I think if you're... You know, if you're trying to, to go against the likes of Kucherov and Point and Stamkos, you got to match those guys and you got to give Matthews as many minutes as you can down the stretch. Yeah, I definitely agree there. I think that you're going to see as much of Matthews as you have all season. Um, put Like, I um, I agree with Lebda there. Like, maybe he sneaks out on the fourth line for some shifts. I think that this series is going to be defined by what Austin Matthews does at the end of the day. And whether that's an extra shift here or there, I think he's pushing 23, 24 minutes in those types of games where you really need him to step up and have a goal or two. Um, and maybe that's on a fourth line shift, but just get him out as much as possible here. Yeah, I think so as well. I think 22 is probably good, 22 and a half. I'm probably betting the over on that um, because, again, I think uh, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You have guys making that much money you need them to show up in the playoffs and you need them to play a big role. And I, I think Keith is knows that. And I think he's going to do that. He's going to ride those guys. I'll get a little bit worried if we're into game, you know, two or three and Matthews and Martin have no points and those demons and still seeing them for 24 minutes, just absolutely gripping their sticks way too tight and really, really trying to force things. But again, you have to, you have to ride those guys because they're so, so special. We know that those two are just going to be the deciding factors in this series, really. What can Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews do? And Steve, I got to ask, do you think, do you expect, is a better way to put it, that Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner will outplay Kucherov and Point? Or Kucherov, Stamkos? Who do you, whoever Tampa's two best forwards are in the series, do you think they will outplay them? I think we've seen Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner add layers to their game offensively this year. I don't think we've seen them in years past be the first men in on the forecheck, uh, score those nitty-gritty goals in front of the net. Um, they're scoring goals from all over the place, and it's an absolute joy to watch. And to see Michael Bunting get in on that action as well. He's not a passenger on that line. He's a contributor. He makes those two other guys better. They're all special players. And... The other guys on the other side are it too. Steven Stamkos putting up a 40-plus goal season, 106 points of his own. The Lightning would have three players who are over a point per game if Kucherov would have played the full season. Brighton Point dipped a little bit, and it's something that we'll talk about a little bit later on, I'm sure. Um, Kucherov, Brighton Point suffering some injuries this year. Um, I don't know. Is it them kind of fading a little bit is it Matthews Marner kind of up on, on, on the upswing um I think that Matthews and Marner both have a monster series I agree with you there I think that just the way that like regression has been working and they've their series last year and you got to look at the production they've had this year a guy like Matthews who's been scoring at a over 50 goal clip in the regular season and then 
He scored under a 33 goal clip in the playoffs. You got to think at least one of these years that just evens out and he decides to have a, a goal per game kind of series. I think that this is shaping up to be his year. This is his MVP award. This is the Austin Matthews season. And I think that we're going to see in this series um, if Austin Matthews is a regular season player who likes to pick up his awards in Vegas in June or in July, or if this is the kind of guy who says, okay, I want to win games in May, June and win big awards for the team. So I'm really excited to see this because I think that this is going to be defined as the two, two weeks where we say, Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews' career was defined on these two weeks and how they stepped up for the team. I think so too. I think I think both those guys kind of know that it's potentially their last shot together. Obviously, Austin Matthews is never going anywhere unless it's his choosing. But I mean, if we're if we're another round round one loss, everyone's hands are tied, and who knows what happens? What I don't really want to think about that because again, we saw how good of a regular season they had and how good of a team this actually is. Uh, another thing I really think that is is a huge understated factor when talking about this is I don't think Michael Bunting is going to let those two get away with fading off in a series. Michael Bunting is kind of that exact piece that you need where no matter what, he's going to be there for the fight. And whether it's, you know, with just his play, his emotion in the dressing room, Michael Bunting isn't going to let Mitch Marder and Austin Matthews fade away. So, Again, I expect them to have a big series. Who knows what happens? But I think the the three of them are a perfect kind of trio together, and especially Mitch Marner just adding that little bit of scoring to his game, just adding another threat to that line. I think uh, I think this is the first time in a long time where that awesome Matthews line is completely complete. And we also talked about the fourth line, Corey Perry, Pat Maroon, Wayne Simmons, Kyle Clifford. But – I don't know what it is about Austin Matthews. Like ever since like around the Heritage Classic, he's just been playing pissed off. And when Austin Matthews plays pissed off, there is no better player in the NHL this year. It's just not. And that's the reason why he's going to win the Hart Trophy. And it was about the same time in and around the Heritage Classic where I believe there was like four or five games in a row where the Maple Leafs threw or they were credited with 30 plus hits in a game. And they had not done that. I looked through all of the game logs. They had not done that since they drafted Austin Matthews in 2016. This is a team with a bit more of a physical edge. This is a team with a mean streak in them. And it's not just a Kyle Clifford or a Wayne Simmons. There's lots of guys on this team that can step up for themselves um, and make a difference physically. So if you're worried about the Leafs and their physical play, um, I think that they've shown that they're capable of doing it when they need to. I think you're right. I think they've made a team-wide effort to be more physical, to be more engaged, because we all know toughness can't just come from your Wayne Simmons types because those guys aren't truly impacting the game other than with their toughness. You need guys like Matthews to be able to stand up. A lot of people criticized him for just kind of laughing when Ben Chirot was ragdolling him in game one against Montreal. It's an image that Montreal fans will always send to you on Twitter, and that toughness is going to be crucial. It's just kind of what makes me hope that maybe Matthews and Marner, they're not just physically tough, but they're going to be mentally tough in this series. All right. Well, we've talked about forwards. We know that uh, they've gotten a little tougher. I think another area where we've definitely gotten tougher is on the back end with guys like Labushkin. 
Uh, hopefully Jake Muzzin can play his tough style. Now here's a hot take that I have for you guys. Victor Hedman is undoubtedly the best defenseman in this series. I think we're all in agreement by that, and I don't think it's remotely close. He is probably the best defenseman in the NHL. But to me, the Toronto Maple Leafs have the second, third, and fourth best defenseman in this series with Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, and Mark Giordano. I think those guys are all better than your Ryan McDonough's, than your, you know, Sergachev's, your Chernak's. What do you guys think of that take? It's really interesting. I remember reading an article saying that Victor Hedman and Jan Ruto, who I believe is his most common D partner this season, who the Leafs absolutely torched in that 6-2 win. Like, if you go back and watch the highlights, it's Jan Ruta every single time that is out of position. Um, but Victor Hedman hasn't seen a lot of the top matchups this season. It's actually been Ryan McDonough's D pairing. I believe it's McDonough and Cernak um, or McDonough and somebody else. I can't remember exactly 100%. But... I'm really liking what the Leafs have on their blue line. There's depth. There's a lot of different options. Like I'm sure we're going to discuss who we think should be playing together. But the reality of it is, is that there's like eight or nine different combinations that we can come to the table with. And you can discuss equal pros and cons about all of them. Mark Giordano defensively um, has been awesome. And he's also on pace to have a 50 point season in an 82 game year with the Leafs. He's got 12 points in 20 games so far with them. TJ Brody is a problem solver. You can pl plug him in anywhere you want him to be. Ilya Labushkin uh, over the last little while has struggled, but he's brought elements to this blue line that they were missing before. And he's kind of surprised a little bit in his puck handling and his skating at other times. Um, Timothy Lilligren, uh, man, that is a guy who I will take victory laps on all day for the comments that I've gotten on my YouTube channel over the last three or four years. Uh, just people wanted to trade him for any run-of-the-mill top four defenseman, and here he is with Mark Giordano forming a formidable shutdown pair. Yeah, and I don't know how hot of a take that is because I've uh, I've just been looking over the stats and like from the eye test, and I don't think you're you're wrong there. I know Hedman is the cream of the crop, one of the top defensemen in the NHL, and with his um, experience in the postseason and his back-to-back -back cups, it's really hard to argue him as anything but the top defender in the NHL right now um, when you consider playoffs as well. But just when you look at the depth of this team, there's a lot of guys, like you said, with um, with Giordano, with Brody, with Riley. Like we do have the next group of guys, um, and I I don't think that that's that hot of a take. That um, we might not have the big guy in the series, but we definitely have the the rest of the group that really brings up our decor. And I know that there's going to be a lot of fans that are pushing for the Tampa decor with, because of the the big names like Hedman and McDonough and Sergachev who have been um, huge names for the past five, 10 years, um, like with McDonough. But I do think that there is a strength to this decor with our depth versus Tampa, which they don't quite have, um, deeper in their lineup. And I, I really liked the, uh, the point on, um, Ruda there. I, I totally forgot about that, but he was exposed in that six, two win. And I think if there's any success, the Leafs are going to come to, it's going to be, um, abusing that side that Ruda's on and, hopefully pushing past on there against some of the tougher matchups. I think that's a really good point to make too. I feel like we can expose the weaknesses in their defense a lot more than other teams can expose our defense. Again, like Ilya Lubushkin 
he is fantastic in some aspects. He's going to have those games where he's not as good. But we have, you know, if if he's terrible, we have Justin Hall, who I know fans love to rag on him. But Justin Hall is just, he's not a bad NHL defenseman. Like You just can't, like, I can't accept that argument that he should never play. Um, and again, like, there's just so much we can do with our defense. We can load it up offensively if we need to, like Rasmus Sandin, Timothy Lilligren, um, obviously Morgan Riley. Like, they're all just so good offensively. And then we can really clamp down and, create any kind of defensive matchup we want to with our decor too, where when I'm taking a look at Tampa's defense, like, no, they're not bad. They're still a very good team. And clearly if you're a very good team, like Tampa is, you have good defense, but I think it's just, you know, there's more holes there. There's more ways for us to exploit it. Whereas we can, you know, if we are getting exploited, if Ilya Lubushkin's looking slow on Riley's wing, boom, also we can put TJ Brody there and play them, you know, 24, 25 minutes a night. So I really, really like our defense matchup versus Tampa because I just don't think teams are going to be able to take advantage of us anymore. Yeah, and speaking of take advantage, I remember in the past when we, in the early Boston series, it was all of our left side D, Riley, Gardner, like they were the good puck-moving defensemen, and then we would have your Ron Hainsey's, Roman Polak's, and guys like that on the right side who Boston would kind of abuse. I feel like it's somewhat similar with Tampa. Like they have three defensemen that they really count on. And then the partners that they roll them with are obviously far less. So I'm wondering if the Leafs will be able to just kind of harass that right side, harass Ruda on that side, harass Zach Bogosian, whoever it might be, foot, you know, any of these guys. And I think that's where they could really expose the lightning. And just to confirm, I did look up uh, in terms of percentage of time on ice against the elite competition. It is Eric Cernak and Ryan McDonough leading the way and Victor Hedman's in third on the Tampa Bay blue line. So they're using him a little more offensively. And that's probably why you've seen him, you know, with a, a over a point a game season as a defenseman. He's, I think in this series, you asked about Matthews minutes. I think Victor Hedman is looking at 26 minutes a night in this series. Yeah, well, that was when we did win six to two. I saw Matthews uh, wasn't drawing the Headman defensive pair, and I was a little bit confused on that because I was like, "Well, if you've got the MVP, the greatest scorer uh, in the game right now, I figured it'd be pretty easy to put Headman on that." But um, I just think that um, that might have been Cooper not tipping his hand so much and uh, trying to make sure that Matthews hadn't figured out Headman in just regular season games, but. It um, it really strikes me. So I I guess that's interesting to hear that Ryan McDonough has been the kind of their shutdown pair. So uh, I wonder if that maybe opens up guys like Matthews and Tavares and Marner and Nylander to not have to worry so much about Hedman's defense because they're pushing him so much to do more offensively instead of having to focus as much defensively. And another interesting point in that 6-2 win over the Lightning, it was Mark Giordano and Timothy Lilligren being matched up against Nikita Kucherov for the most part, and they absolutely dominated him in basically every single one of the micro stats in terms of the shot attempts, the actual shots, the scoring opportunities, the expected goals, the high danger shot attempts. And that's just the beauty of Mark Giordano. Yes, he has slowed down, but so does the game around him because he's just that good in his positioning. He will give up the blue line to protect the middle of the ice, and he will force you into the corner, and then he'll just be right on top of you to take the puck away from you. That's just that's just his game, and I just I, I love the guy so much. I have a personal connection with him, and I was, I'm, I'm over the moon joyed that he's a Toronto Maple Leaf and playing as well as he is. 
That's interesting that they did use, you know, that a rookie in Timothy Lilligren who has played exceptionally well in a shutdown role. And I wonder if they do use him again like that because we saw last year Rasmus Sandin in his first playoffs uh, coming off a really good rookie season. He kind of got exposed a little bit. So are you guys worried at all that Timothy Lilligren is going to get exposed in any way by the Lightning? I think the ways that Rasmus Sandin got exposed in that Montreal Canadiens series, I don't, I don't think that'll be a problem for Lilligren. Uh, for Rasmus Sandin, I think that's more just his size than anything else. There was a couple of plays that he was exposed on because of his size. But um, with Lilligren, there was a picture going around at the beginning of the season where he was just kind of chilling on a patio with his shirt off, and the guys. The guy absolutely beefed up over the offseason. He's 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 no longer Timothy. He is uh Timoth Lilligren. Like just period. He is Sir, Mr. That's what he has Damn. in his name at this point. Yeah, exactly. And um for him, him and Mark Giordano are really interesting because uh, a friend of mine that works for an OHL team kind of asked me a couple of weeks ago. He's like, Hey, has Mark Giordano ever mentored like a young player who's a little bit more offensively minded before and i was curious so i went back and looked through giordano's most common partners over the years and i believe in the 17 18 season him and dougie hamilton played pretty much exclusively together in the most insane minutes against elite competition that i've ever seen in my life um and obviously that was four or five years ago and giordano's 38 years old right now but um, we later went on to find out that Dougie Hamilton can do it on his own, but that's Mark Giordano, um, facilitating that for a young player and taking their game to the next level. And he just continues to do that. Like I said, I love Mark Giordano. I'm so happy that he's a Toronto Maple Leaf and he's absolutely kicking ass. He is absolutely kicking ass. I can totally agree with that. He just, I don't have, um, I have so much faith in Timothy Lilligren that he's just going to flourish. And this, uh, this playoff series is just going to be, um, just going to further help it with his coming out party that's been this season. And we're going to look back on him as a big factor in this series, just with um, all the work that he's done in the season. I think it's just going to continue to carry into the postseason. And um, I've been so happy with his play and his development into a true, um, really solid two-way defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if he just plays the way that he has in the regular season and that's all he does, I will be over the moon because he's done so much for us and he's been such a steady presence, which as a rookie has just blown my mind. So if he and Bro- he and Giordano decide to continue this play up, it's going to be really hard for uh, some of those lower-end um, Tampa Bay Lightning players, depending on who that he's matched up against, um, to get any offense going at all. See, I, I showed a lot of love to Mark Giordano, and I do want to give some more love to Timothy Lilligren because Lilligren this year, there was before Giordano and after Giordano, obviously, but Timothy Lilligren this year spent uh, quite a bit of time playing with Morgan Riley, and it was in and around the time that literally everything was going in the Toronto Maple Leafs net, so nobody looks back on that time very fondly. But if the Toronto Maple Leafs, like I was saying earlier, they can roll out a number of combinations and we can discuss the pros and the cons. But Timothy Lilligrid with Morgan Riley was an amazing uh was an amazing offensive play driving D pairing. Like there's so many different possibilities, so many different combinations. And maybe that's not something that they go to these playoffs, but maybe that's something down the road that they can look at. A hundred percent. And that's kind of what I just briefly mentioned earlier with this Leafs defense is 
almost everyone can play anywhere in any situation, right? Like, before coming to this team, Ilya Labushkin is a bottom pair defenseman that's only good at defense. And then he comes to the Leafs in, and, I mean, he's not great at offense, but he has a sneaky, you know, ability to move a puck or, or something like that. Like, he's a lot better in that aspect than I thought he was. And he now he's playing in top line with Morgan Riley seems to fit in. We know TJ Brody can you know, do it all. He, he's never going to be a bottom pair defenseman at this point in his career. So that's good. Mark Giordano, same thing. If he, if Mark Giordano has to play 23, 24 minutes a night, he's going to have no problem doing that. If you have to, if he has to do it, you know, through an entire playoff run, then we might see him burn out after that. But to get through a first round, like we don't have to worry about that. And then, yeah, to Steven's point too, about Timothy Lilligren, like he's, he's been good wherever he has been. And I think, too, like we, um, Sats brought up Rasmus Sandin. Last year watching Sandin, you could see the holes in his game. You know, he's not a great skater. He, he's not a not a really a grown man at this point. He's still a boy when you're comparing him to other hockey players. Whereas if you look at Timothy Lilligren, yes, he's older and he's more mature, but there's just no, no holes in his games. Like he doesn't do anything really, really poorly. So I think it's just, you know, it's just a steady ship. And then, again, having a partner like Mark Giordano, who he's always going to be in the right spot offensively or defensively. If you need to, you know, whip a puck around the boards because you're in trouble, he's going to be there to bail you out. He's going to be there to help you out. He's going to make a nice first pass to you or be available for a nice first pass to exit the zone. So, yeah, I don't know. I think Timothy Lilligren, again, is going to just continue on with the season he's been having. I think the foot speed thing is a big point you made. That was where... Sandine really got exposed at times, especially on that Paul Byron goal in the first game against Montreal. And that's an area where Lilligren's really strong. He's just, he's a well-rounded player. And we've talked about him so much. The addition of Mark Giordano has just put everything into place for the Leafs. It has lowered our reliance on Muzzin. It allows a guy like Lilligren to play better. It just makes everything work. And it sounds like we're low on Sandine. We're not. We're very high on the guy. Steven, you said you would love to have him in an offensive situation on our team. He's our eighth best defenseman potentially right now. And I was going through Tampa's lineup. I He would easily be in their lineup. He would probably be their fifth defenseman at worst going into these playoffs. So the way that Kyle Dubas has set up the depth of this defense has been incredible. And it's a big reason to have confidence going in. Now, the biggest reason we have to talk about the elephant in the room, and I mean elephant literally given the size of his chest protector, that is Andre Vasilevsky. There is one area in this series where there is no debate who has the advantage, and that is in net. Tampa, <laughs> Tampa has the biggest advantage you could have. Andre Vasilevsky, he's got a 917 save percentage, and Jack only has a 914 this year. But if you look at the advanced numbers, Goal saved above expected. Vasilevsky second in the league behind Shesterkin. And Jack is just a little bit below league average. So, Stephen, what are you thinking? Are, is there even any point in the Leafs showing up against this guy? I mean, like, in my video, the previewing the series, I broke Jack Campbell's um, season into three. And Jack Campbell at the beginning of the year had a 942 save percentage in his first 20 games. And then there was a game against the Minnesota Wild on December the 4th, I believe, where he got run really hard by Marcus Foligno. And then in the next 20 games before they shut him down, he had an 885. And whether the Leafs want to admit it or not, um, they said that the injury that he was dealing with, the ribs, um, happened about a week or two before they shut him down. 
the numbers say otherwise. Because how do you go from a 940 to an 885 in one 20 game stretch to another? Um, since he's come back from injury, he's got a 915 save percentage in the nine games that he's played. He's 7 0 and 2. His last four games, he's been remarkable, but playing teams like the New York Islanders, the Philadelphia Flyers, the, the Panthers, it was a good game, um, the Detroit Red Wings as well. Um, I don't know. Just going to depend on how much faith you have in a guy like Jack Campbell. Um, which guy is he? Which guy are you going to get? I know I've said multiple times in my videos, um, the stat that I like to bring up is that since March the 20th of last year, that's when Jack Campbell took over as the starting goalie uh, from Frederick Anderson through the playoffs up until that December the 4th game against the Minnesota Wild. He played in 45 out of a possible 56 games for the Toronto Maple Leafs and had a 931 save percentage. So it's just going to depend on which goalie you think is going to show up and then which goalie actually shows up. Because the narrative has always been that the Toronto Maple Leafs are not very good at defense. So you got to give credit to Jack Campbell for having that incredible save percentage in those games. But Andre Vasilevsky is a different beast. He's a different monster. He is a literal elephant with goalie equipment. So um, it scares me. It does scare me. Because what did he have last year? Three shutouts in elimination games or games to close out a series. He had a shutout in every one of the games that Tampa closed out a series or something like that. Something absolutely insane. He's a gamer. He's the best goalie in the entire NHL. He might not win the Vesna Trophy this year, but over the last five years, it's Andre Vasilevsky. So before Noah goes, I just want to bring up a terrifying stat about this guy. He had a 28 goal saved above expected in a full season this year, which was second in the whole league. In just the 24-game playoff sample last year, he posted a 26 goal saved above expected. So he's just, he, you said it, he turns it up in the playoffs. He had a 937. He is just an unbeatable wall, Noah. And sorry, the craziest thing about that goal save above expect, expected number is that the stat caters to good goalies uh, playing behind bad defenses. And Tampa Bay does not have a bad defensive team. So the fact that he was able to accumulate that many goals saved above expected means that he was just stopping absolutely everything. Well, Sats, you said a you said a really good line where it was, why even show up if Vasilevsky is going to be a net? And there is a line in the second Creed movie, and I'm a huge Rocky fan. And just to set the scene, Creed um, is looking at a at a Rocky, and Rocky's going, "Oh, you don't have it. You don't. You can't beat this guy. You got nothing." And Creed looks at him. He goes, and he goes, "He's dangerous." And Creed looks at him and says, "I'm dangerous." And if I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs, I know I'm dangerous. I know Vasilevsky's the best goalie in the league, but I'm Austin Matthews, and I'm the best goal scorer in the league. And if anybody in the world was going to be able to do it against this guy, when all the odds are stacked against him, every stat says this guy is the best of the best, the best of his generation. You can't beat him. If I'm Austin Matthews, I'm saying great challenge. I can't wait to prove you wrong. So don't why not why why even show up, man? I believe in this guy, Hart Trophy winner, Rocket Richard winner, Austin Matthews. This is my guy. I think that if anybody was going to do it, it's this Toronto Maple Leafs team and it's this top line and it's our big guys showing up in the time where we need them and it's us winning the series. 
Yeah, I really, really hope that all the Maple Leafs forwards are listening to all the talk going on around the series because, you know, I've been busy with work, so I haven't listened to much of it. But you know that the mainstream media is going to be going on about how good Tampa's goalie is, how good their defense is. And I really, really hope those top two lines of the Leafs take that personal because I think I think like I'm not gonna sit here and repeat what Noah said, but it's pretty much exactly how I'm feeling. Audrey Vasilevsky, fantastic goalie, best in the league. But we also have Austin Matthews, who's an elite, elite talent, and we have all the members surrounding him to where we can beat this goalie. And then it's just up to the to the rest of the team to be able to do their job too. So again, I don't want to repeat everything Noah said, but why not Austin Matthews? And Lebda, something that might bring comfort to our listeners, if they listened last year, they remember what we said before the series last year. LOL, Carey Price, 905. This guy sucked for four years. He's no good. And what did he do? He absolutely kicked our ass. He whipped us all over the floor and just embarrassed us. So we've been goalied, I don't know how many years in a row. I want to say at least three playoff series in a row um, by goalies who are much less than... Vasilevsky, like Corpusalo and Merzlikens, like they owned us. So, mate, that just goes to show the playoffs are random. Goaltending is especially random. Our own, my biggest hope in this series is just random luck and variation. And that Vasilevsky, maybe he eats a bad piece of fish in his taco or something, and maybe he feels like crap and has the worst series of his life. Now, we know this is going to be a hard-fought series. Either team could win. So we're going to discuss why we think each team can win. So, Stephen, let's start with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Why do you think that they can win this series? I feel bad. Every time you're throwing to me, I'm always going in sort of a bit of a different direction. But the, the reason why I think the Leafs can win are the exact same reasons why I think the Tampa Bay Lightning can win. These teams defend in terms of their neutral zone four checks the exact same way if you're watching the toronto maple leaves come back and play defense if you're watching the lightning come back and play defense they're set up in this one one three neutral zone four check and what it's designed to do is you have three pairs along the is you have three players along the blue line and two other guys that kind of force the puck to one side of the ice and those guys their job is to play like traffic cop almost they want to get you to one side of the ice so that the three guys at the back can force you into a two-on-one battle and take it away from you so then your strategy is to sort of dump the puck in and the maple leafs have added that to their game offensively where they can dump the puck in and get it back they're one of the better teams in the nhl at doing so but at the same time, the way that you can beat a 1-1-3 is getting the puck up ice before the other team is able to get set into that. So if you're Morgan Riley, um, and this is actually an area where you could really use a Jake Gardner who could just send just stretch pass bombs up the ice and just really get in behind that defense, um, it's going to be quick ups. And in that game against the Lightning, where they won 6-2, to two. there was a lot of quick ups in that game that created some two-on-one rushes. And Vasilevsky's an amazing goalie, but if you create enough two-on-one rushes or odd man rushes or just weird kind of turnovers, um, you're going to be able to get the best of them. And in that game where the Leafs lost 8-1, to one, the Tampa Bay Lightning took advantage of those same things. They got the puck up ice and they beat the Maple Leafs before they can get set. And the Leafs also weren't the toughest in front of their own net in that game. 
Yeah, if we're talking about how the Leafs can win, I think as has been talked about all year, it just comes down to the big guys that make the big bucks showing up in the big moments. And if those guys come out to play and they decide, hey, I am the best player on the ice right now, or I'm the best player in this series. And if we get a guy like that who just decides, whether it's Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander, or Riley, and they just say, this is my time, I'm going to win this series right now, and they just come out and have an unreal uh, run where they go goal a game or they just have a ridiculous amount of points in the series, I think that that's the way that we're going to win. We saw last year where our depth had a really good series, and you know we're one goal away from Matthews um, winning that series. And I don't think we're going to get as lucky this time around where our depth scores uh, outscores our problems as much. But if we get one of those big guys that just says, hey, I'm ready to take that next step in my career. This is our team. We're winning this round. I think it's over for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't really care who shows up. I think that if one of those guys says it's over, it's over. If Ilya Mikheyev wants to step up and say, it is over, my time in Toronto is done, I am going out with a bang here, you're paying me five million bucks this offseason, probably not the least, but some other team, and he just wants to have a monster run at things, I fully welcome it. I'm I'm not, obviously, I'm not in favor of sacrificing Ilya Mikheyev, but if he plays well enough that we're in a position to where we have to let him go, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that, because it would mean winning a playoff series. And that's all any of us could really ask for. And I think that's a really good point. We didn't have this Ely McKay of last year. We didn't have this Pierre Angval. We didn't have a guy like David Kampf last year. We have a lot more guys that I feel like they're not, you know, offensive superstars with the exception of maybe McKayev. I think someone really, really smart predicted that he was going to have a goal-scoring season like he did this year, but we'll... Uh, we'll just legacy did. Later. <sighs> Um, but, but no, uh, like I think just our depth guys, they're way different than they were last year, but I think they're just a lot more steady and they're able to ease the ship and their, um, their ability to just let the big guys do what they do best and not have to overcompensate for other things, I think is going to come in huge in this series. So all Austin Matthews will have to worry about is scoring goals. And if all he's worried about is scoring goals, he's going to have the puck on his stick a lot more than he doesn't. And the defense is going to take care of himself. And we know how good Austin Matthews is defensively. So I think that's a bigger thing. Just the more mature team, our fourth line is a liability, but I think the rest of our three lines make up for it. And as we talked about earlier, our defense is so much better than Tampa's. And I'll take having a better forward group and a better defense core and rolling the dice on something as random as goaltending. See, and I think the improvement um, in the depth scoring from guys like Ilya Mikheyev, David Kampf, Pierre Engvall, I think that's just from having clear, defined roles, right? So often, if you're working a job, no matter what it is, if you get wishy-washy instructions from whoever's kind of delegating, you're not going to know what to do yourself, right? Um, If a coach is setting uh, clear roles for guys out there, it makes the game much easier. It's much simpler to know, okay, I got to do these two or three things and I'm just going to make sure that I do those two or three things and I don't got to worry about that because the other guys are going to take care of the rest. Yeah, you guys make a ton of good points as to why the Leafs can win the series and why it's realistic and I'm not going to repeat any of yours. I'm going to come up with my own and you guys tell me if I'm crazy, but the Tampa Bay Lightning get tired and worn down. That would be my way that the Leafs can win. Now hear me out. 
over since August of 2020, so the last 21 months, Tampa has played 186 games. The Leafs have only played 150. So Tampa's played an extra 36 high-intensity games over the last 21 months. And we saw this team, I don't know if you want to call Tampa conserving themselves or wearing down, but if you look at the last 30 games, Tampa's 16, 12, and 2 over those last 30 games, 12th in expected goals. The Leafs were 21, 6, and 3, 4th in expected goals. They might have their legs under them. But do you guys think that that's just Tampa being kind of a championship team looking at the regular season as 82 practices? Or do you look at it as an aging you know, team that's been through two really tough years finally starting to show some cracks? See, the one thing that I don't think a lot of people were paying much attention to in the month of April uh, when comparing how the Leafs were doing to teams like the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning are the schedules of those guys. Uh, the Florida Panthers played a lot of games in a lot of back-to-back situations, but we're not playing the Florida Panthers, so don't worry about them. The Tampa Bay Lightning played a lot of home games and only one back-to-back scenario this entire month. The Leafs were on the road for like 8 out of 13 games. They played three back-to-backs in the month of April as well. So if you're looking at things gearing up for the playoffs, it's easier to do that at home and when you're a bit more rested. But even so, like I mentioned, the, the, I believe the Leafs are 15-3-2 and two since the trade deadline, and two of those losses are to Buffalo and Montreal. It absolutely boggles your mind in terms of the Leafs against other playoff teams this year. They're 23, 10 and five and the lightning are 18, 15 and six. If they're treating this regular season, like 82 practices, they're going to get walloped in the first round because the Leafs have come into every single game against other playoff teams and really competed. And I like that last point that you left off on that. They've, they're just coming in and competing against these top playoff teams and they're treating it like it is the playoffs and that, Hey, we need to win this game to continue our playoff lives, even though it's game 60 on the regular season. And I just think that if Tampa truly took it lightly and said, Oh, well, we'll turn it on and we'll figure it out. And we're the Tampa Bay lightning. We'll just like, we'll worry about it when game one rolls around. I think that that's really dangerous if you're playing the Toronto Maple Leafs because I think that Tampa would really be underestimating what this team has done during the regular season. And I think that they would underestimate how ready and prepared this Toronto Maple Leafs team is to face this Tampa Bay Lightning team. I think the whole turning it on and turning it off is a little bit of a, I don't know if myth is the right word, but kind of kind of a tale. Like at the end of the day, like unless you're actively sitting Vasilevsky, sitting your big guys, resting them in situations, like these are professional athletes who thrive on competition, who have only made it to this point because they've worked this hard at it and because they're this competitive. So you can go into a game not feeling your best. Like it's human. You can't play, you know, for lack of a better term, balls to the walls for 82 games because your body would literally explode. So there is always naturally some of that. We see it with the Leafs, like you mentioned, losing to Montreal and Buffalo. Like, that's that's what happens. Human human bodies can only take so much, so you have to, you know, take a step back. But I think at the end of the day, once you step onto the ice as an NHL player, it's got to be really, really hard to, you know, kind of go in and coast because, you know, those competitive juices are going to take over. You're going to be getting chirped on the bench. You're going to be giving chirps back. You're going to get into the game so quickly that, I think it's just inevitable that you're going to turn it up. So I think I think it's probably a combination of some injuries and, you know, they're getting older and no one's won three straight since the 80s. Like it's not 
like every every team has to have their downfall eventually and you know i think another thing that people didn't mention is how much over the cap the tampa bay lightning have been in the last couple of years and you know so there's a lot of factors that really lead to the leafs you know having the favorable matchup here and tampa maybe you know what maybe they have taken that step back i sure hope you're right i hope that it leads to a toronto maple leafs win but we covered why we think they can win Steve, what is the biggest reason that you think the Tampa Bay Lightning will win this series? It's the goaltending. It's hands down the goaltending. You could be fearful of a Stamkos one-timer from the corner, but um, the biggest thing that makes the Toronto Maple Leafs the Toronto Maple Leafs is their offense. And if uh, the Lightning have anything that can neutralize that, it's Andre Vasilevsky. It's just hands down, just period, just the goaltending. I hate to give such a simple answer, but it's the goaltending, hands down. I agree with Steven. Like, it's at this point, the offense and defense that both teams are so close, and we've gone through the lineups and we've said who we like on each team. But man, Andre Vasilevsky, with his track record and his career, if he decides that this is going to be a two weeks where he just turns it on, I think this league team's going to have a really hard time beating Tampa Bay. And I think you mentioned Stamkos one-timer. If you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, you can be like, hey, so-and-so, go like, don't let him one-time the puck, like no matter what. But there's absolutely nothing you can do as an opposing team if the other team's goaltender is on an absolute you know, run of form, aside from Kyle Clifford forgetting how to stop in front of the net. But again, I don't think too many teams are going <laughs> to do that. Um, so yeah, it, it's obviously goaltending. And, and again, goaltending is the scariest thing in the NHL because you, you can't do anything about it as the opposing team. And if Jack Campbell plays bad, you can't really do much about it as your own team. So it's going to be interesting, but. But also just to put it into perspective, like what I was saying about the record against playoff teams, like the Leafs being 23, 10 and five, that's a 671 points percentage. That's a 110 point pace against playoff teams. The lightning being 18, 15 and six. That's an 88-point pace against playoff teams. Like, that's a huge discrepancy to me. And I know we're talking about why we think the Lightning can win, but I think it's going to... I, I, I need to be optimistic before I give my prediction. I need to be optimistic before I give my prediction. So I got to throw that in there. I love it, and I appreciate it. I hope that it bears out in the playoffs. We know the playoffs are different than the regular season. So we talked about Vasilevsky and why he's the reason. I think... We would be doing a disservice to Nikita Kucherov if we did not bring him up. The man has 66 points in 48 playoff games over the last two years. Him and Point are just a different beast in the playoffs. We we know Matthews and Marners are the better regular season players, but we haven't seen them do it in the playoffs. We've seen these guys do it for Tampa. So if on top of Vasilevsky, it's those guys and Victor. Like I'll just stick with those two for now. We'll, we won't even bring up the demons of Hedman. Buddy, Pierre Engvall is going to put Kucherov in a locker. Mark Giordano is going to put him there first. <laughs> I'm a journalist. Like, I have to be a little bit objective. But at the end of the day, I, I love Mark Giordano. I can't express that enough. That's the third time I've said that on this podcast. And hopefully we say it many, many more times throughout the playoffs. Now, does anybody have any thoughts that they need to get off their chest before we get into our predictions? I am a Leafs fan. We are all Leafs fans. I am a Leafs fan. I'm going to go last. I'm going to go last. So 
I don't want to start with the one that I know is the most positive. So Noah, you don't get to go first. Um, Steven, what is your prediction for this series? In my video today, I gave kind of a cop-out answer. I said, if Jack Campbell doesn't play well, this isn't, this isn't getting past five games. It's just, it is what it is. That's just the nature of things. But it's not, it's not, it's, I'm not really putting myself out there by saying if your goalie plays bad, you're going to lose. That's, that's just hockey. Um, if Jack Campbell is able to put up like a 915 or above, I think this Maple Leafs team is going to be a really, really hard out even though the Tampa Bay Lightning are as good as they are, even though Hedman, Kucherov, Stamkos, Vasilevsky are as good as they are because the Leafs on the year are like 29th in the NHL in terms of five-on-five save percentage. What do you think this team can do with a 9-15 or a 9-20? They, they just... I, I don't know, like, I, I we, we commit ourselves to these numbers and logic and strategy and stuff like that, and it's been thrown out the window for a number of years now when you're talking about the Maple Leafs, and I understand you're just asking for a prediction, like Leafs in, Tampa in, or whatever it is like that, but it's not as simple Give as that. Give it to me, Stephen. It's never as simple as that. It just, it never is. And it absolutely, Something? it absolutely pains me that for the first time, in however many years since they've drafted Austin Matthews that I don't think that they're going to win. I just, I don't so think that they're going to win. What's the number of games? Let's, let's get a concrete prediction on here. I think even if Jack Campbell plays well, the Leafs are really formidable opponents. And I know that I talked to them up, but I, I, I don't, I don't see it. Jack Campbell could post a nine thirty and still be the second best goalie in the series. And you would believe it. You still scared of the question. I, what is your prediction? I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I hate myself for it. I, I absolutely hate myself for it. I'm sitting, I'm surrounded by Leaf jerseys 24-7. I, I consume this like like a machine. It's it's like 20 to 30 hours a week of just nothing Maple Leafs. And it, it pains me to say it, but I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Lightning in six games. All right, well. With with Dr. Negative, Steve, I'm just kidding. But let's go over to a prediction that I know will lift the spirits of Leafs Nation, Noah. What do you got for us, pal? I'm gonna let I'm gonna let the Buds All Day podcast fans on a little secret. I have bad eyes. I wear negative 3.75 contact lenses 24-7 when I'm awake. And it's because I'm blinded by the passion. This team is going to win game one. They're going to win game two. And they're going to go into Tampa, and they're going to get spanked in game three. And they're going to somehow miraculously win game four. And they're taking it in five at home. Leafs in five. We're winning the series. Won't be close. I'm telling you, this is our move. It's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's going to be so random. People are going to be questioning the Tampa Bay Lightning's legitimacy the last two years. But somehow the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to defeat the Tampa Bay Lightning in round one. And it's going to be glorious. Leafs in five, final prediction. You know what? You know what? Just I know. I'm sorry. I'm cutting you guys off. I also wear prescription glasses. And I am also somewhat blinded by the passion. And after hearing just, just how charismatic Noah was, um, I'm still going to say Tampa in six. But... I'm 
<laughs> I'm a little bit more optimistic about maybe how the result goes. I don't think it's going to be a blowout of the water series. I had to come back in there for a second. All right, Lebda, what do you got? I don't know. I feel like people are going to expect me to come in and have this like grounded level answer and be the be the difference between maybe Noah and Steven, but I don't know if it's you rubbing off on me, Noah, but I'm kind of feeling Leafs in five too, man. I'm feeling just some crazy series. And I know and I know, me and Sats had to eat it last year on our Hab series with all the crap we talked and how much we did. So I spent this whole podcast just trying to tame my emotions, take, calm it down, not so I have egg on my face. But, man, I work so much I barely have time on Twitter anyways. I'm not going to see any of the flack if any comes backwards. So Leafs in five, baby. Austin Matthews is going goal game at least. We're storming Tampa, and everyone's going to call them the COVID Cup champions because we're going to actually make them work for a series, and we're going to blow them out of the water. <laughs> Lebda loves the Mickey Mouse champs. Um, yeah, Lebda, Leaf Nation knows that you're blinded by the passion because there were multiple games in that series last year where I had to talk you off the ledge and beg you to do a post-game reaction because you were just distraught. So I love that you're fully back on board. I love that Noah's on board. I got to go with Steven though, man. I am Leafs in, or, uh, lightning in six has been my prediction all along. I've predicted the Leafs every single year they've made the playoffs, except maybe that Washington year. I predicted them to win the first round. I just can't do it anymore. I, this is the best team. I think if they're facing anybody but Tampa or Colorado, I'm taking them. But Vasilevsky just scares me too much. And I, until I see it, I will. If they win this round, I will be on board for a cup. But until I see them win the round, Lightning in six. So I got to cut you off here, Lebda. That doesn't um, have anything to do with a little wager you put on the Tampa Bay Lightning. You're not letting that creep in your psyche at all. No. Uh, okay, I'll let you guys in. I did see some monetary value in the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now this is not because I want them to win. I. I, I said to someone on Twitter today, anything short of like ten dollars to $20,000 on the line for me, and I'm rooting for the Leafs. But I just put a little bit of something on it so that if the Leafs lose, I can at least be like 17% less depressed. So I did – just Tampa Bay at – they were plus money. Like, like how, are, how are the Toronto Maple Leafs favored against the two-time Stanley Cup champions with the best goalie since Dominic freaking Hasek? I, I don't understand. You know what? I, I, I didn't expect you to have money on this series. If anything, I, I, I would have put money on Noah having some money on this, on this series. <laughs> As someone who has made a lot of money on betting against the Leafs this season, that would be a good prediction. I just, yeah, I just, it's... It's such a large part of my life that I needed something to like, like nothing. There's no questioning what I'm rooting for in this series. Like a thousand times I would, I would pay a disgusting amount of money for the Toronto Maple Leafs to win a round, And that amount is a lot more than the amount I bet, but it's just, I just look at it as an investment at this point. The least cannot be anything more than 50, 50. And if you're giving me more than 50, 50 money on Tampa, I'm sorry, I'm taking it. Now with that said, I think there's no question here that we are all hoping that we can come back in a couple weeks and say the Toronto Maple Leafs have finally slayed the dragon. But that's where we're going to leave you guys today. And I just want to thank all three of you guys for showing up. It has been an absolute pleasure. Now, Stephen, where can they find your stuff? You can find me at theleafstation.com and over at Downtown Sports on YouTube. Honestly, if you guys are not checking out Stephen's stuff, you are missing out. It is 
He's my favorite Leafs YouTuber, and I'm not just saying that because he was kind enough to come on our podcast. He actually gives us amazing stuff. Noah and Lebda, they everybody knows the regulars on the pod at Noah Banks at Lebda's Legacy and his 14 followers, and at the Buds All Day Cast. <laughs> Check us out. Like this if you're a first time listener. Subscribe. There will be more content coming throughout the playoffs, and we appreciate your listening. Go Leafs, go!